governor of the Lagos State. What is it that makes Nigerians so unique? Thank you very much, uh, Armstrong, and thank you for having me. Right, I think it just dates back to our pre-colonial days. The founding fathers of the nation, right, at that time knew very early that education was one of the strongest weapons out of poverty and out of liberty, right? So for the Western part of the country, where I come from, the Western um, region, which was what it was before the independence, right, there was compulsory free education, free education after, you know, the first elementary school level up until this higher school, which is what we call the secondary school level. So, you know, you certainly must, they provide the teachers, they provide uniform, they provide books, so you must just, you know, get yourself enrolled in a school. And so that's what they were doing. They were building schools, you know, they were, they were providing um, um, all the resources that was required for child education. And this was before 1960 of our independence. And I think that also permeates largely the entire country because it became, you know, sort of like um, um, a chase amongst themselves, amongst all the leaders at that time, that compulsory free education must be available to you know, um, young um, citizens at, at that time. And, and, I, and pretty much that was how we got the foundation. And so there, there are cities or there are towns in the country where predominantly 60-70% of the population are teachers. That's who, just who they are. They've all just been, you know, been tutored to just mm. go out there and become a teacher. Right, and there's, there's, in fact, there's, there's a village in, in a state called Ekiti State where they've got more professors than a country, right? And so that's, I mean, so you, it dates back to how we started. You know, we started by um, ensuring, and, and, and at that time, they saw the vision that education was very, very critical. And so growing up at my own level too, it became, you know, it's, it's a no starter when you have a second degree. You're not even talking of a first degree. You must go beyond a first university degree and get a second degree. Then you can settle in. A lot of parents growing up, you know, they don't even say, oh, so you're out of school. Okay, what? What next? So that has been part of the DNA, right, of what has now permeated, you know, right around the country. And if you also remember, in, in the 60s and in the 70s, there were lots of, I mean, movement. You know, they had to go get Western education. And each time, they are out there, right? The next, you know, um, thing they have to do is to see how they ensure that their sibling, right, also get the same quality level of education. And I think, you know, year on year, generation on generation, you just, you could be a good footballer, but they'll tell you, what's your university degree? You could be a good actor, but they say, what, what is your university degree? You know, so that's how being the, the, the growth part, the trajectory that we we'll see, you know, in the country, especially, you know, in the western, you know, part of the country where I, I actually come from. You, you, you can't even just tell your mom, you're what? You're, you're an artist? Where's your university degree? You know, but all of that is also slowing down now because now with the global markets, you know, with, with the internet market, it's now a global play, right? People now have come to realization that you can actually do a lot of crazy, nice ideas without necessarily being in the four walls, you know, of a university. However, even at that, you are expected that at least you must have some basic, basic, you know, elementary and high school education so that you can as well, you know, communicate and be at pair with, with, with your neighborhood, with your peers and, and all of that. So 
really much, you know, that has been, you know, the pre-colonial, you know, idea that our leaders and our fathers at that time pretty much just passed on to us. You know, there, there are many misconceptions um, with the continent of Africa. I've had the blessing of visiting um, Nigeria. One of the things that I was struck by is that no matter how much perceived poverty you may see, it doesn't impact the breakdown of the family. Which still goes back to our fathers and our grandfathers. Everybody has a responsibility to the next child. And there's an adage that it's one person that gives birth to a child, but it's a whole village that trains that child. So you see a child and the entire clan, the entire extended family, see it as their responsibility to take care of that child. So we all grew up you know, with um, direct and indirect siblings. You, know, you have your, your cousins and your uncles and your aunts living in a big family house all together. So you see everybody, you know, like your brother and your sister. So you have that early you know, call of responsibility to ensure that you take care of everyone around you. So it's been a bond that has run from generation to generation where you, know, you don't need to make a phone call to knock on your brother's house. You, know, you just show up, right? And it has, it's a responsibility to open the door and say, okay, guy, have a seat, right? So that has been the training that we have. That has been you know, how we all grew up. You know? we, we realized that we have very strong you know, um, um, family. You know, and what I'd like to lead into, because you know, I, I think sometimes we as Americans become so elitist in our way until sometimes we think that only America exists and that we as Americans cannot learn from others. And there's some things that Nigeria does very well. You know, when you think about the, the rape of women, uh, when you think about the abandonment of the fathers, not taking care of the daughters, when you think about the crime and people killing and the violence, and Nigeria has millions and millions of people, but yet this is not your narrative. No, it's not. Why? Well, I mean, you know, we, we have our own little issues, but because of how we've all been, um, been opportune to, to, to grow up, you know, we grew up, like I said, you know, with like um, a moonlight setting where everybody comes around and it's everybody's responsibility to just ask, you know, um, a nephew or a niece how you're doing. It's everybody's responsibility to just look out for the other child. So it's not you know, your own direct children that you have responsibility on. You actually have responsibility for other of your siblings' children. And you just take it up naturally. It's something that just flows naturally. Because that's how you know, you've also been trained. That's how you, you've developed around you know, your entire household. So it just generally just permeates how our essence of living, right? And, and that's who we are. That's really what, you know, one of the staying power, you know, that we have going. Things might not be that smooth. We might have economic issues, challenges here. But you know that once you can knock on, you know, a relative's door, they will certainly really open, open their arms, you know, and, and be willing to, to, help, to help you out. You know, in another part of the country, there's even an interesting story there. Because in, in the eastern part of the story, you know, there is an apprenticeship system that works there. Where when you go on a training under someone for a certain number of years, after the training you must have completed, is the responsibility, 
you know, of the person that has developed you to ensure that they set you up. They give you seed capital to start your business. They give you, you know, all of the equipment that you require to start your business. And so it becomes, you know, um, um, a growing concern for you. And just, you, just, you just pass on everything to him so that he also can stand and, 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 and um, live on his own. And it's free. And that's a kind of inter, you know, tribal relationship that we have, you know, amongst, amongst ourselves, you know, and especially, you know, like I said, in the western part, sorry, in the, in the western part of the country where I, I grew up. That's all I, I, I know. And that's the only thing that I see all around all of us. You know, um, the importance of, of Nigeria should not be lost on our audience. We've had three presidents to visit there, Jimmy Carter being the first, Bush, and Clinton visited Abuja. Most recently, your vice president was here and met with our vice president to talk about climate change, the importance of that relationship, and also to talk about the strong strategic alliances that we've had for such a long time. A part of your mission for being in our country is to look for strategic partners. Now, when people think about um, Nigeria and Lagos, the only thing they think about is oil. But Nigeria is so much more than, than just oil. We don't even have oil in my own part of the country. I've never, I mean, I worked in an oil company, but we don't, geographically, we don't even have oil in our own country. The staying power of Lagos, for example, right, which is, I mean, it's the biggest economy um, as a city in the whole of Africa. It's the largest community where you have black, you know, um, neighborhood. We've got over 22, 23 million, you know, um, citizens in, in the city of Lagos, and it's growing. Right. The staying power that we have, it's the commercial economic nerve center of the country. And it's out of oil. It's, it's, it's an economy that is driven by the sheer resilience of its citizens, you know, commerce, you know, um, small businesses, large conglomerates, you know, um, services, you know, um, technology in these days, you know, entertainment. Just the sheer resilience of that moving number, that moving parts. You know, the fact that you can come to Lagos with a simple big bag, a black nylon, which we call a big, and you can turn to a billionaire because once you can imagine it, you can create it, there's somebody down the road that is going to buy the product because the numbers are right, the population is ripe, and they just, you know, continue to raise the bar amongst ourselves, you know. So the commerce in the city is huge, you know, the, the ability for people to sell things, to do trade, to do, you know, um, um, Transactions among themselves, it's really, really, really commendable. And that's been one of the strongest staying power, you know, of the commercial, economic, you know, nerve center of, of the country. And it's also, you know, the, the destination of choice. You know, 65 to 70% of international travels come into Lagos. By the way, Lagos used to be the capital. So there's some, you know, positive and negative that we inherited being a former capital before it moved to Abuja. But Lagos just continue to thrive, just continue to be that energy. There's some spirit in Lagos that just drives you. There's some energy that you see that they just want you to continue to raise up the skills, you know, and do the very, very, very best, you know. Yesterday is gone, today you just want to ask yourself, what more can I give, what more can I do, you know, just to the sheer resilience in the city, it's, 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 it's unimaginable. And that's one of the staying power that we see in the country. That's one of the staying power that I, as a governor, the 15th governor of the state, see on a day-to-day -day basis which gives me the energy to want to go on. How do I make this place better for my citizens? How do I create opportunity for the youth? How do I ensure that the women, the children, the vulnerable in our society have a source of livelihood? How do we ensure that, that tomorrow 
my yesterday wasn't was was okay but how do i ensure that their own tomorrow it's even better than today how can they compete in a global market right how can we put lagos on that world map not just by sheer population but by sheer opportunity by sheer growth you know and commerce you know and diversity and culture that people can truly really know that this is a real giant african city state that is ready you know everyone knows that China has a juggernaut of investments in places like Nigeria and throughout the continent of Africa. Why is it that the United States need to do more to invest and create opportunities in Nigeria and especially throughout the continent? You know, I'm strong. I mean, um, time waits for no one, right? And opportunities are there for everybody to pick. 20, 30, 40 years ago, right, America was you know, the place everybody wants to go. It's still the place, if, 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 I'm, not, if I'm not, I mean, um, mixing it. But there's been a lot of other new powers that are growing, right? And it's important for Americans to see, to feel, to know that the only continent that is ready to be further discovered is Africa. And the country that is also has a numbers, that has a population for that discovery is Nigeria. And why do I say so? Close to 75% of our population are under 35. So this is a huge population that is willing to tap in technology, in entertainment, in all of the world future, you know, um, play. They are waiting, they are willing, you know, to take up this, this opportunity. And that's why I see, and I want to say that if you are looking for the future, it has to be in Nigeria, in Lagos, because the numbers are there. And that's why I will speak you know, to the American investor that, fine, you know, we might have a few of our challenges, which is, is, which is available in all countries of the world, I dare say, right? It, st it still shouldn't stop you, you know, from making that futuristic investment, you know, decision. Well, given the population, given the skills that is available in this country, right, this is really the place, you know, I'm to be. And, and, and I still, you know, want to further explain that, if you take technology, for example, right, the amount of the unicorn companies that have come out, you know, of, of Lagos, you know, Lagos continue to remain, you know, the tech startup capital of Africa. It's taken over from Cape Town, from Nairobi, from Cairo, right? Investment, this year alone, that we've monitored over a billion direct investments, you know, have come. There are some big names of American companies that are there, the Microsoft, the Google, you know, the Equinox are there. But we want to take it now to the next level of, you know, investors, small businesses, we need to step out of it as government, right? From my interaction with investors yesterday, business to business wants to do, they want to do things for themselves. We just need to create that enabling environment for them to meet each other and be able, you know, to, to take their business conversations forward. And that takes me, I'm, I'm, I'm strong to an economic summit that we're having in Lagos in October, October 15 and 16, which is called the Ahimbeti Summit. That summit is actually for businesses to meet together, for them to understand where the opportunities are, to meet players in various fields, you know, and to be able to just, I mean, um, interact. And it's both fiscal and online. You know, the pandemic has taught all of us that there is no global business these days that you, you cannot also attend online. So those opportunities are there. And I dare say that it's important for American businesses, you know, to take up this because the Chinese are not, they are not going anywhere. The Indians are there. You know, the other European countries, the French, the, the, the British, they are all, looking for the same opportunity that we have in, in, in the continent and in the country. You know, I really would like for you to 
put in perspective what that means in terms of comparing it to a place like New York, Los Angeles, and you, you just mentioned that you're also becoming a juggernaut in the technology space. You are the financial capital, not just Africa, but most places in the world. I mean, let's just not limit it to the continent of Africa. And there's a reason why you continue to build and grow and expand that. But talk about, help our audience understand Lego State, because you're a businessman. Talk about your leadership as a businessman and the Lego State. Well, thank you very much, Armstrong. I mean, so when you sit as um, the governor of the largest black community in the whole world, um, you get some goose pimples. There has to be some, some extra adrenaline that must pump you every morning to want to go out, right? There are challenges, right? Um, but we're, we're facing all of our challenges and we're dealing with them in health, in education, in urban transportation, in pollution, challenges that faces most large cities where we're dealing with it, you know, and we're facing it frontally and we're not shying away from those levels of challenge. But out of those challenges, a great, huge opportunity. And that's the, that's the side I would want us and my audience, you know, to focus on. And what are the opportunities? Like I've said, right, there's great, great opportunity in tech space. And there's huge opportunity in the entertainment space. There's huge opportunity in technology, in climate adaptation huge opportunity in infrastructure, bridges, toll roads, toll bridges that needs to, to, to be further constructed, you know, rail infrastructure, water transportation infrastructure. Lagos is surrounded by water. It's like the Venice, you know, um, um, it's like Amsterdam of Europe. It has water all around. So all of those people need to move from one location to another. So I tell to businessmen, right, anything you can think of, it can happen in Lagos. If you want public transportation in water, it's available. If you want public transportation in rail, it's available. We're building, you know, internally, we're building rail infrastructure. We're, we're buying rail, you know, um, rolling stuff from American companies. We're excited about that, right? We're developing the, 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 the infrastructure for technology. We're building fiber connectivity in the whole of the city of Lagos State so that it can be a plug and play. Big takers, you know, you know um, last mile opportunities, to reduce the cost of internet, make it cheaper, smarter, and faster. There are great opportunities there. In the entertainment space, it's, it's, it's a no it's just We're just started. The amount and, and the number of youth with sheer skills you know, um, that, that we have in that country, they're global. You know, they can indeed start from somebody and become from nobody to somebody. And that's the kind of space we want to push them to. And with technology, they are now you know, using it to, to, to develop all sorts of skills. In the movie industry, short movies, storytelling. They are legal storytelling. It's, it's becoming phenomenal. Netflix is looking for all of them on a daily basis. These are the kind of things that we're seeing. Entertainment is one of the areas where we can utilize the skills of the youth. We can you know, ensure that we give them a platform in movie production, in short stories, you know, in, 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 um, in music, right? Everything is available for them to be able to, you know, um, just fly. We are creating um, spaces for them to have contact with global, you know, uh, players and have, have, have opportunity with, with global companies, you know, in, in other parts of the world, in America and the rest of it. So these are some of the things that I see as opportunity. 